You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hey there, welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay and I'm joined by my co-host and real life partner Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off the cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a lighthearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a diehard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. And I know that world is not accessible to me. And so for me, it's like I have to figure out how I can still exist in that space until it is accessible to me. Michelle. Hey, Carling. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's well, been so long good. since we've spoke. I know. We're recording this. If you are listening to this, it's because we were unable to record an, a proper intro, outro for this episode because Carling is day drunk on a lake in Ontario. <laughs> well, I mean, I would still do a day drunk, but we may, I'm just, we're recording this as a just in case because I'm going to be in Bob Cage in Ontario. There's Wi-Fi, but what's the service going to be? What if their power goes out? What if, yeah, you know, yeah. and I'm like at a cottage. So we just wanted to be prepared so that we can still carry on business as usual. Weird thing about Lindsay's love for Bob Cajun is that she literally owns every piece of merchandise you could buy at Bob C- in Bob Cajun. Yeah, that's where she does her annual clothes shopping. Yeah, like she just goes to the gift shop and buys everything that says Bob Cajun on it. Yeah, Bob Cajun or Kawartha Lakes, because I think that's okay. what, like Bob Cajun is on Kawartha Lakes. Yeah, I think it's adorable. I love it. Yeah, I did So this buy... means that you need to come back with some of the same. Yeah, I did buy a tank top last year, but I actually don't know what I did with it. So I'll buy one this year. And I have a hat. Okay. And so if you're listening to this, I might be floating on a lake with a white claw in one hand and an ice cream cone in the other. And I'll be at home in my room in the fetal position, crying in the corner. <sighs> in a few years. But my door will be locked. Oh, my God. We didn't even talk about that in our last intro. I know. You are buying a code, like a keyless lock, like a door code lock for your bedroom. I am. I'm buying a keyless entry lock. This door in my new house doesn't have a lock at all. And there are two doors to get into my bedroom, which is just a nightmare. And I'm tired of my kids being in my room, either when I'm home or when I'm not. And so I'm getting a coded entry lock that I will only know the code to. And that'll be that. Well, I know the code. What if there's an emergency? Sure. Yeah. The emergency is I'm like in my room eating ice cream and all my kids are outside (laughs) trying. (laughs) I get back from Ontario and they're like, we haven't seen her in days. (laughs) 
they have to call Maury and you'll have to remove a wall from my house to get me out. It'll be a whole oh, thing. Oh my God. <laughs> Incredible. I just wish somebody had told you this before, you know, I to get too. a lock Honestly, on your door. If I had a good friend, she would have told yeah. me this. Yeah. She would have talked to you about boundaries and having space for yourself. Yeah. Probably years if, ago, if, if, if only. only. So I'm glad that you came up with this idea <laughs> and are taking action on it. I am a genius, honestly. Really <laughs> you are. You're so smart. <laughs> My God. I told you this yesterday. I'm slow. Okay. So you might tell me something <laughs> and you might tell me to do something. And it could take me, instead of three to five business days, about three to five years for it to click in. I just have to get fed up enough. Right. And apparently my threshold is very large. Yeah. The bar is set really high. Yeah, I think so. I should ask you how your week's going, but we don't know because this is just a canned intro outro. Yeah. I think my week would have probably been crazy because my kids finished school. Oh yeah. And you're taking a few days off? And I'm taking the first week of July off. Yeah, I'm sure at this point I will have been locked in my room actually for quite a few days because right. being home with my kids is a lot. I love my kids, but they're incredibly demanding. And but when this you is have where five of them, it's... Whew. You just need to be a bit more strict. Yeah, I agree. For your boundaries, because you don't have the luxury of being like a loosey-goosey parent. No. Because they're five against one. Absolutely. Yeah, I need stricter rules for sure. Like, how do you think the Von Trapps did it? Yeah, I'm just going to start whistling. <laughs> and then I'm going to have to teach them how to sing that song. Yeah. The good goodnight song, goodbye song or whatever. And that'll be our new thing. Good, what is it? Goodbye. Farewell. I'll so long. Farewell. Alvita say goodnight. Yeah. I... Bonjour to you and you and you. <laughs> I am 16 going on. That's theme. a different song, but yes. Right. <laughs> the hills are alone. <laughs> I may just use this intro. <laughs> you oh my God. Or we'll have um, to post it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I miss you so much. And I, mean, yeah. I can art, like, I already know that's a fact because I'm going to be gone from the 29th to the 11th. Mm -hmm. That's a long time. That is a long time. This will be the first time that I'm taking downtime since my dad died. Yeah, no, I think and it's amazing. We're we're flying out on his birthday. Like he Ooh. wasn't dead when we booked the tickets, so it didn't seem like it. So Yeah. We'll just see how that goes. I may be floating yeah. in a lake with ice cream and a white claw sobbing. But if you're gonna be sobbing, that's the best place to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would think. Boats will drive by and be like, do they drive? Boats will, boats will boat by and be like, you okay, Do you need a rescue? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like floating in the lake. We'll have the best time ever, and I miss you, and I am glad that you're having a break. Yeah, it'll be good. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss the kids. I'm going to miss the dogs. Yes. We'll have to, like, have some fun times this summer. Absolutely. We need many fun times. <laughs> many we need all the fun times all of them oh i will say just we're just talking we don't even have a plan was it okay that we just stopped by your house yesterday absolutely that's that like so... exactly what i want right and because not yeah to be clear i don't want random people stopping by my house i want you and Lindsay to be stopping <laughs> I will by my house put your at address random in times the show notes like that was one of the things when i moved i was like now you guys are so much closer and come by whenever yeah. my house is not going to be clean 
Oh, but as long as you can see past that, I want visits like all the time. Yeah, I know. I was sending you messages and you weren't getting them because you were. No, that's okay. And so I was like, we're just going to stop in. I was talking to my mother. Yeah. And we'll just show up. So we're going to do that more. I love that. All right. Let's get on with this episode. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hello, Jessica. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. We were just saying that it is early morning for us, but it's mid-afternoon for you. You're in England, right? Yes, I am. So thank you guys for getting up early on a Sunday at that. Like, that's amazing. Thank you. No problem. I feel bad for Michelle because I love getting up early. I'm the most peppy in the morning. And I feel like Michelle is not like that. No, but my kids (laughs) wake me up early. So I'm up anyways. (laughs) So. Yeah. Might just take a little nap later, but it's all right. That's perfect. Awesome. How's it going in England? What's going on over there? England is confused. The weather cannot (laughs) decide what to do, (laughs) but England is good. I love living in London and I feel very lucky to be here. Oh, that's so nice. Where are you from originally? I'm from a small town outside of Chicago. Oh, okay. That must be a big difference then to move from small town USA to London, England. Massive difference. (laughs) Yeah. Normally we find a lot of people on TikTok, but I found you on Instagram. So your whole platform is talking about traveling as somebody with like different mobility needs. So why don't we dive right in? I would love it if you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, and then we'll get into your story. Sure. So my name is Jessica. I am 25 years old. I live in London, but I am an American and I work as a full-time influencer content creator talking about what it's really like to live as a disabled woman in the 21st century. Amazing. Yeah. And you are missing an arm and a leg, right? Yes. I was born with a really rare genetic condition called child syndrome. It affects one side of the body with skin and limb deficiencies. So it affects about 60 people worldwide. So like really, really rare. Like really. We just interviewed somebody. The episode was last week and she was born with a limb difference. And so she didn't have toes, but I guess that's actually pretty common, but this sounds much different than that. So you were born without one arm and one leg on just one side of your body. Yes. So the condition child syndrome, it. I don't know all of the science behind it. I am not a doctor, but something with one of the chromosomes or whatever has caused one side of the body to basically not function properly. I actually have a pretty mild case of it, believe it or not, as I am missing two limbs, but some people have like the skin condition that I have. They have it going all the way up their body. Whereas I really only have it in certain areas on the left side, which is the thing that kind of really makes it different from just a typical limb difference. It's in condition as well, because it makes wearing a prosthetic even more uncomfortable in some cases, just like impossible. And then also it can affect organs as well. I'm fairly lucky. They've not really come up with any connection with that for me, but it has been known to affect like organs on one side of whatever side is affected. Oh, wow. So interesting. What year were you born? 96. 96. Okay. So was this noticed in an ultrasound before you were born? I think they knew that something was up. I don't think, I don't know if they had diagnosed it yet. I 
have been meaning to get clarification on this because this is not the first time I've been asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm just thinking about like ultrasounds. I was born in 84 and my mom showed me an ultrasound of me from then. And I'm like, what am I looking at? It's literally just static on a, a screen. There's, it's yeah. so crazy. I always think we've interviewed people like Rachel, who was born in 1984 and she was born with her heart on the wrong side of her body and facing the opposite way they had no idea. And even when she was born, it wasn't until they did surgery and testing and all this stuff that they would find out. I find it interesting when somebody was born and what medical in utero advancements there were. Yeah. And so do you have any siblings? No, I'm an only child. How was it growing up? Did you just grow up and this was just normal? This was the way it was? Or did you require a lot of special, I don't know, like special appointments and things like that? I mean, I had a lot of doctors growing up and I would go to see a limb doctor and a prosthetist and a dermatologist. Like I've had these doctors my whole life would go to these appointments. I don't think I even really recognized the fact that was abnormal and that Mm -hmm. my life was different until I got to a certain point in grade school and was like, oh, (laughs) actually I am the odd one out. Like I'm doing this, but it also, it like, it didn't consume me either. There have been other circumstances since like throughout my life that have been more consuming medically than I think my condition has been in some capacities. Yeah. It is amazing how children just adapt to their situation and they figure out how to get around and move around with, with mobility issues. And were your parents really encouraging you to do all the things? Yeah. My parents were so like, honestly, I'm who I am today because of them. They pushed me in a lot of ways. They encouraged me. They let me be in the driver's seat of what I wanted to do. There was only one time that my parents stepped in. were like, no, you're not going to do that. But they didn't even really say it like that. They just said, if you're going to do that, we're going to spend this summer preparing you so you can do it next year. And they ended up hating uh. it. So a really good thing. That, uh, God, what I was it? I wanted oh. to play softball. <laughs> And my dad was like, okay, we're going to work on it and see one, if you can, two, if you like it and just like work on ways that you're going to adapt because you can't throw and catch with one hand very easily. You're going to have to figure out how to do that with one hand. I was like, okay. And I was terrified and absolutely traumatized. Anytime it would come near me, I would run away or cry or scream. So Obviously, softball was not the game for me. (laughs) (laughs) That was a fun little lesson for me. I tried to learn baseball as an adult, and I learned that like things flying at my face at fast speed, my instinct is to turn and run the other way, like not to run and catch it, but to actually just avoid it altogether. Yeah. And (laughs) so you said prosthetics can be tricky because of the skin complications that you have. So did you have prosthetics growing up or... Were you in a wheelchair or did you just learn to adapt on one leg? All of the above. I did have prosthetics though. I wore a prosthetic every single day, pretty much until the age of 11, maybe even 12. I don't remember exactly. Somewhere in between that time frame, 11 and 12, I wore a prosthetic and it was very uncomfortable. It made my skin flare up even worse. It caused oh. a lot of blisters, a lot of just straight up it was really bad it was not good it was a lot of pain and I wear one now actually as well but just not every day and not for 
12 hours a day if I can avoid it like I was as a kid. So it's a lot different and I'm more mindful of that. My skin is also more contained now. I have oh, what's I have medicine that's helped take care of the skin. It, my skin used to be really inflamed all over my lower limb, my amputated limb, and then also like quite bad all over my arm. And I have this medication that has since helped remove, I'd say over two thirds of it. It's still there. And in the places that it is, it's very painful and very problematic still, but in general, it's improved a lot. Wow. Wow. I find that amazing from when you were born to even today, the advancement in prosthetics and medication. And I guess even like accessibility has Uh probably come so far. Have you found that where you grew up, did you become really aware of how inaccessible the world was? Or have you seen a lot of changes? I think that I was really in the dark for a lot of my life. Growing up in a small town in Illinois, I think showed me that I felt very alone, I think is one thing. And so to me, I didn't view inaccessibility around me as like a problem until I was older, because to me, it was like, I'm the only one. So what does it matter? But then as I got older and realized, oh my God, there's literally a billion disabled people on the planet more so how dare the world be inaccessible. Also people can become disabled at any waking moment. Like our ability is not guaranteed from day to day. And I think that to me was a big wake up call, especially once I got to college and then out of college even more so. And that's why I talk about what I do on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Did you go to this, just what comment you made me think of it. Did you go to any like camps or groups with kids with other disabilities or, or amputees, like I'm thinking war amps or, or were you truly feeling like you had never met another person like you? I don't remember going to any like camps that were for people that looked like me. I knew of other disabled people, but it was a lot of people that had more intellectual disabilities. And that sort of access need is obviously a lot different than mine in many ways. And, And also I was not in the special education classrooms growing up. So I didn't interact with them on a day to day basis because of the way our school system works. We segregate that group so much, which I have a lot of feelings on anyway, but (laughs) just in general, I just, I really did feel alone in my school and I felt respected at my school though. I do think that because I was in a small town, that's the other side of it. People knew me, people grew up with me. It's not like I was constantly facing people asking me intrusive questions all the time because we'd got past that in second grade. Like people ask their questions and then they're like, okay, she's here. Cool. Yeah. Then you were just Jessica. Exactly. So there were some pros and cons to it all the time, but I don't know. It's interesting looking back because I know that's a very, I truly just assumed that I was one of very few people like myself and Turns out there's a ton. And it doesn't help that when I'm growing up, I'm also told by all my doctors, oh, there's only 60 known cases. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, 60. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been able to connect with anybody that does have the exact same difference as you? I've had a few people reach out to me. I I think my parents got put in touch with somebody when I was born. And Mm. I think they had a little bit of contact with them. They were based in California, I believe. I was one of the first people to try the skin medication that came out to help the skin situation I had. 
yeah, which was really like interesting. But because of that, my doctor was like a leading person for my condition. Oh, and wow. so she would put me in contact with other people that had younger children that were just recently born with it. So I think that happened twice. And since starting my page, I've had two people reach out to me and be like, I have the same condition as you. But to be honest, I don't, I purposely don't keep in contact with people that have the same thing as me because one, it's so drastically different for everybody that has it. Like I said, I have a mild case of it. And I, I, a lot of times I find the people that have my condition sometimes can be the ones that ask the most questions and the most questions that are like very personal. And that's not, I understand they just want solidarity and they want somebody there to be like, it's going to be okay. And I'm okay to do that to a point, but also my experience is not going to be their experience and vice versa. I think there's so much we talk about, it seems like with so many guests, we talk about representation and with kids in that have special education needs, not being integrated and having that seclusion and also kids with different mobility issues and different missing limbs or blind or all these different things. Representation just matters so much in media, in, in everyday life. So that when you're little Jessica is a kid, you're seeing people that maybe don't have the exact same thing as you, but that maybe look a little different than everybody else or function a little different than everybody else. I'm so glad we're hopefully moving in a direction of more visibility and more representation education. (laughs) What brought you to England? My husband. Ah, and did you meet him in Illinois? No. So I went to the University of Notre Dame for college and I did a study abroad semester in London and I met him when I studied abroad. Oh my gosh. It's like a movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're not the first person to say that. Yeah. Cute. (laughs) How did you find dating as somebody with missing an arm and a leg? Did you date a lot growing up or was it something that was tricky to navigate? Oh, it was super tricky. And I think it was one of the reasons dating was so hard was because I didn't see my value and my own worth for so long. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see how I fit into the world for so long. And like I said, I felt alone and I would look at inaccessibility as just being like the norm when putting myself out there into the dating world, it was, I was used to rejection. I was expecting rejection. And so I didn't do a lot of dating until college, partly because of all that. Also, I was just genuinely busy in high school. That's another real thing. Dating was not my top priority. Would it have been nice to feel that inclusion in that very important part of growing up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it just, it wasn't my top priority. I dated a little bit, definitely had some crushes. I got my fix from One Direction. It was, <laughs> <laughs> but then in college, I started going on some dates and I had a boyfriend at one point. And I don't know, I didn't really enjoy dating. I did a lot of online dating. I think that was my way of trying, because I was like, in person, I'm always going to get rejected. Nobody's going to do that. So for me, it was like online dating feels like my only opportunity. I would always be very upfront. Like I would never just post selfies on my profile. It was always like, Hey, look at me. You got to know what you're getting yourself into Uh, Yeah. from the get-go. I'm not going to like catfish or hide or do anything like that who I really am because that's not beneficial to you or me at this point um and I actually ended up meeting my husband on a dating app in London so wow I hear with online dating there would be a lot of people with like kinks and problematic like 
what they're looking for is not genuine romance. So I actually get more of that on Instagram now than I think I did on dating oh. platforms. Oh, um, God, I people think are gross. People are disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's the whole thing about now this world, this technical world that we're in. It's like people think that they could do and say anything like you, they would never say it to your face, but like behind a profile, they're just like, so <laughs> when it comes to just you as a person and dating, do you require a lot of assistance in, in any of your day-to-day life? And is that something that you have to approach with people in your life to help you? I require a different amount of assistance depending on like where I am in life. So for example, right now where I'm living, my apartment is very accessible to me. There's a lift up to it. There's ramps leading in and out of it. And I can, it's small enough where I can hop around on my one foot. So I don't, I'm quite independent. Like my husband will travel for work sometimes for a week or two at a time. And I'm very capable of looking after myself and my dog during that time. That said, there was a time after I graduated from college before I was married and was coming over here that I lived alone in an apartment in the States for a while. And that apartment was not accessible. I didn't have an accessible vehicle. So at that point, my mom would actually have to drive over (laughs) to the town that I was living in once a week to make sure that I could go to the store and get groceries because I like couldn't get to the grocery store by myself so it just honestly it depends on how accessible places are around me it's not anything to do with my conditions necessarily yeah Yeah. I'm just thinking about that perspective as being a mom where she's, I want you to be able to have your independence and I want you to be able to live on your own. So putting that aside where it's, I'm sure she would just want you in her house, like that you're just with her, but to be like, no, you need to live on your own and get that independence, but I'm still going to come over and make sure you're eating. Yeah, it was really tough. It was in a different state. Mm-hmm. I, I downplayed that a lot. Uh, I was working at my alma mater in their development department because they offered me a short-term role. And because I knew I was moving to England, I was like, this is perfect for what I need to do. I'm not giving anybody any long-term commitment that I know that I can't live up to. And I am still doing work that is meaningful to me. And I was also, our wedding was going to be in the same town. So to live three hours away and trying to plan a wedding in this town was going to be very difficult as well. If I'm living and working here, it makes more sense. And so my mom would come over at the weekends, we would go grocery shopping, and then we would do wedding planning together. She was honestly the entire wedding planner for that whole thing. That wedding would not have happened without her. Oh, Oh, that's that's really sweet. (laughs) What was it like going to Europe from America? How did you find their accessibility? Because I remember even being in England, I'm a fully able-bodied person. And I noticed because of the age of the buildings and the way that their infrastructure was, it didn't seem very accessible. But what was your experience? The very first time I went to Europe, I was 19. I was a freshman in college and I was traveling with my choir group. We were performing in Eastern Europe, Austria and Czech Republic. So we were over there. So that was my first time like properly out of the country. I'd been to Canada and the Bahamas, but this was it. I am an adult. I am going to Europe with this group that I don't really know a lot of people because I'm a freshman and like scared to death still. But that's that was my first European experience. And 
I remember thinking this place is not built for me. Do you remember having that thought several times on that trip? Mostly because of the cobblestones. It wasn't even the buildings oh, yeah. that were necessarily a problem. And not that the buildings weren't a problem, but a lot of the hotels we stayed in, they made sure we had lifts in them. And so that wasn't as big of a problem. And we also were doing a lot of walking tours that were just like out and about in the city and looking at things from the outside. We weren't going into a lot of places and then cathedrals like I expected the church that I sang in at Notre Dame was not accessible to me like the choir wow. loft was upstairs there was not an elevator up to the choir loft mm-hmm. so I would climb the stairs every time that we would sing up there um, wow. which oh my gosh it just was my normal though like yeah. it just, I'm not saying that gives it an excuse but I think that it was just my normal it was something I was like all right I want to be a part of the choir that's what I'm going to do so to me, like the churches not having accessibility, I was like, oh, that's normal in the States anyway. But I think that the cobblestones really were that threw me for a loop to the max when I was over there. I was like, I can't get my chair around. This is impossible. Oh, wow. What do you attribute to your, I just, by speaking to you, like your personality is very much, I'm not going to let any of this stop me. I'm very independent, confident, just if there's an issue, I'm just going to figure it out. What do you attribute to that personality? I think there's a lot of things that I would attribute to that. I think a big one is the fact that I was born with my disability rather than acquiring it at any point in life. I don't know anything else. And so for me, my whole life has been about adaptability and figuring out a way to, in some ways, survive and make sure that I can participate because even something as simple as like playing at recess, like as a kid, I would have to figure out a way that 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 was accessible to do that for me. I couldn't just go play on the jungle gym. I couldn't go hang upside down on the monkey bars. Like that wasn't an opportunity for me. I had to figure out a way to still have fun and do that. So for me, it's just, it's a part of who I am is figuring things out. I think the, another big thing is my family. I, I feel like I've talked a lot about how they have pushed me on this episode already, but they really encouraged me to live life to the fullest. And I think another thing is just like my own will and like my own desire for certain things in life. I've always been really into performing. That has been like a really big thing for me since I was a child. I did community theater growing up. I did musicals in high school and did dance for 13 years. And it's just, being on stage and doing things for entertainment has always been something that's been really important to me. And I know that world is not accessible to me. And so for me, it's like, I have to figure out how I can still exist in that space until it is accessible to me, or maybe do what I'm doing now, at least what I hope I'm doing now and fighting for the change within that space. Yeah, absolutely. How did you decide to start dedicating to educating and making these changes, doing the work that you're doing? It really, it started in college a little bit. There were some times in high school where I would expand beyond my hometown and realize that things were still not accessible outside of my hometown. And Mm -hmm. I think in high school was one of the first times that I realized, oh, there are other wheelchair users. I didn't realize like what that meant and the entirety of what that meant. But I remember that was my first time thinking, like this isn't just about me anymore my grandma's in a wheelchair like she should be able to access this building and so I started thinking about it like that and then it started becoming an anger issue for me when I couldn't access things and one of the first buildings that I remember getting really angry about was the Illinois State Capitol building and it not being properly accessible in some capacities and 
having people tell me to just wait up here and while your class goes down here and does this thing because the lift is super far out of the way and we don't want to do that. And I remember like being mad about that. And my teacher fought for that to not happen. Thank God. But it was just quite the eye opener for me. And then I got to college and was facing similar inaccessibility discrimination and that sort of thing. And for a while, I let the system and I let the administration of my university hold me back from talking about it and fighting for it. But Mm. by the time my senior year came around, I was in a really bad place mentally. And I started going to therapy for it because I had repressed so much and I had let people's opinions of me and my own opinions of myself because of that. And the inaccessibility, I started to shoulder that. And just my inner self-worth had been diminished so much at that point. So in therapy, my therapist kept reminding me, you're allowed to take up space. You are a human being. You are allowed to exist. And nobody had ever said those words to me. My family, my friends, yeah. they loved me, but nobody had ever said, you're allowed to take up space. Yeah. And I really internalized that. And I feel like that was one of the mo- big motivators for me. And then from there, I just started talking about it. I started talking about my personal Instagram in my life with my friends. And then after I graduated, I had a mentor of mine at the university tell me, you need to start a blog, mostly for helping me get jobs in the future. But they said, you need to make it personal to you, write about your life. And I was like, okay. And then that's how it came to be. It was something I was already doing, but I decided to take it more public than just like, my inner circle. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's amazing what you said earlier about how there's a billion people in this, in the world that have disabilities and the fact that there are still places that aren't accessible to them. Like it's not like a handful of people, it's millions and millions of people who need to be able to access these buildings. And at any point in your life, you could need that access. I know that it's probably gotten better than it was, but there are still major advancements that need to happen for people so that you don't have to sit upstairs while everybody's downstairs. That's not the way it should be. And I think you're just doing such a great job showing that. Thank you. It definitely, there's a long way to go. And part of the problem, the probably the biggest part of the problem is that people just are not aware of the yeah. fact this yeah. is still an issue, especially in the US. I think In the UK, that's one of the biggest differences I've noticed. In the UK, people know that it's a problem here, but they're not doing anything about it. In the US, people just genuinely think that because the ADA exists, that everything is fixed and that everything is great. And I'm like, no, the ADA was like a great start, but has it fixed everything? Not even a little bit. Yeah. Are there places that have people with disabilities on their team who can tell them to show them how buildings need to be accessible or how they need to change an existing building to become more accessible? There are people that do that. I actually offer that service myself as like a disability accessibility consultant. I don't know how well utilized that service is for the majority of architects and people that are in city planners and these people that are actually out there building things because Mm -hmm. it's fascinating to me too. Like when I would go to a new building or when I do go to new buildings and they're not as accessible as I think they should be given the fact that they were just built this year. Yeah. I was thinking when you were saying that, Michelle, that it is probably a bunch of able-bodied professionals that are like, if the width of a wheelchair is this, 
then they make it to that standard. But what they're not taking into account is I used to work for a museum and we had a company come through and do a tour to point out how inaccessible our accessible standards were. And even like the size of the button that you have to hit to power the door wasn't actually that accessible if you had a vision impairment or a balance impairment or anything. And so it does seem like it was just a bunch of able-bodied people that were like, yeah, "Yeah, this seems to make sense. We should just do this and this, or like the, the slope of a ramp being too steep and not having the right curb cut. But then to actually use it, it's like they didn't think to maybe invite somebody who is a user or somebody who requires that accessibility. Yeah. It's, fascinating to me everything you just said because people think also that ramps are like the end-all be-all for accessibility right and as a wheelchair user and as somebody with a prosthetic and all that jazz like ramps are great don't get me wrong I love a good ramp (laughs) all the good feels but that's not it that's not the entirety of accessibility you can slap a ramp anywhere and it doesn't mean your building's accessible looking at stores and seeing how close together different bits of merchandise are can a wheelchair actually fit through here how is the bathroom door being opened for an accessible bathroom is it opening in or out is there enough space once if it does open into the bathroom stall is there enough space to actually turn the chair around and still shut the door these are just like minimal things and we're not even talking about all of the different things that you need to consider for visually impaired people or neurodivergent people or any of Mm -hmm. these different things and that's one of the bits about disability is there's not just one answer and I think that also gets people let that be a reason to just not try in a lot of ways right exactly like we can't please everybody so let's just not worry about it yeah (laughs) how did you come up with your instagram handle the rolling explorer yeah how did that come about can you talk about that a bit genuinely when i thought the rolling explorer i thought that i was going to have an accessible travel blog that's what i was planning on doing and for maybe the first three months. That's what it was me talking about, like different experiences I had traveling. After that, one, my wedding planning took over. So I took a break from my blog for a long while. Because like I said, also, like one of the biggest reasons I started it was because I wanted to work in writing and storytelling in some capacity. And my mentor was like, this is a good way to help you get jobs once you move to London. Then I got married and then I didn't get to move to London for nine months because of the pandemic. So it was just like all this chaos. And I was like, okay, I'm going to restart my blog. I'm going to use the same name because I've already paid for the domain name with the website. And I'm just going to talk about disability and talk about my experience. And at that point as well, I had the blog. I might not have been using it regularly, but I had used it as a way to enter into the disability community for the first time. And through that, I started to really see a lot more people like myself, one, but also that my my issues that I experience every day were not isolated incidents, that they were not things that only I'm experiencing. And they're so much worse and on a much larger scale than I ever imagined. Right. And I think for that in and of itself, that first year was really important because I learned, I think my first year owning the blog, it was more about me unlearning and also learning from my peers. And then the years after that, I've taken that and used it as a way to really start to fall in love with myself and what I have to offer so that I can tell my story and I can share my experiences in a way that 
I'm like confident and excited about, but also in a way that helps other people learn in the same way that I learned from these other people. Well, and the rolling explorer is all encompassing, right? Like you're exploring maybe other countries, but you're also exploring where you're living and you're showing people that either things need to be more accessible or that you can still do all the things that you want to do if you have a limb difference or a disability. I think it's such a great title. And just looking at your Instagram, it's just this like bright, happy, you can just tell, you know, that your message and your personality just comes off the screen. And I think it's great. Well, thank you. Have you faced a lot of backlash? I know a couple of your videos, you go for an accessible experience. Like you go to a place and you utilize their accessibility. I don't know what to like their, the way that they make it accessible and it's actually not. And you draw attention to maybe the areas that they could improve on. Have you faced a lot of backlash from that or do the companies welcome that feedback? To be fair, I don't think any of the companies have that I've reviewed have ever seen the review. So I don't know how they feel about it. And I think of the places I've gone to, there's only been one that I've been like pretty frustrated by as of yet. I've not posted all the ones that I have in my phone, but of the ones I've posted, there's only been one that I've given a negative review. That said, I have not gotten any sort of negative feedback from that. People actually, but the people that do watch it really appreciate it. And I think that's the one that I get asked about and requested to do more of the most. I, I think that's really interesting because that's what I wanted my page to be about anyway. And so to me, that series is so wholesome to me. And yeah, um, it like brings me the most joy to be able to do that because that is what I wanted to do when I first started three years ago. I would think companies, it would be beneficial for companies to bring you on as an influencer to say, Hey, Jessica, like we are this, I don't know, attraction. We would love to host you for a day and get your feedback on what it was like with your accessibility needs and to get your honest review. And then as a company to step up and own maybe areas that need improvement. Yeah. I would love for more companies to do that. And I would love to actually partner with companies that like invite me rather than just do things like that I happen to be doing, because I think that would be, it would show their initiative to care about accessibility. But I think a lot of companies are also scared of the idea of not having it perfect and what that would be. They don't want their shortfalls being exposed, but they need to use it as a learning experience instead of a negative thing, right? Exactly. I mean, that would be the ideal, but unfortunately, I just don't know if we're there yet. But I think, I do think that there's potential for that to grow, hopefully in the coming years, as I know we touched about representation earlier, but I do see representation for disabled people kind of on the rise. It's definitely not need to be yet, that's for sure, but it's improving slowly. And I think through representation is how we get awareness out there. And through awareness, we can educate. I feel like social media is one of the ways that the world is getting more representation, which is so great because it puts it in the hands of the people experiencing it. We don't always have to wait for these big companies to, you know, either in TV, I mean, they should in TV shows and media be casting people that are real or in advertisement. The world is picking up that we're tired of seeing this picture perfect view of what a human being is supposed to look like on our screens and yeah people like myself or other disabled or body positive or different body shapes and types and all of these things getting 
followings and having platforms, it shows that people want to consume this content and they want to see this sort of representation on their screens. And I think that's really important for the future and it will only open up more opportunities for everyone, which is only a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's amazing. I love, I just love that. I love the work that you're doing. I think it's so important. More people need to see this type of content. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Where's the best place people can find you online and follow the work that you're doing? Honestly, probably Instagram and TikTok. I do pretty similar things on both platforms and I'm the rolling explorer on both of them. Awesome. Yeah. We'll make sure to check you and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Jessica, thank you so much. It has been so nice to get to know you and chat with you. And I'm excited to keep seeing all the content that you're putting out and all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. And thank you again for asking me to come on. I love doing things like this. Thank you. And thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Yeah. You too. Thanks again for getting up early. Oh, no no problem. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. Hey, Lindsay. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. This is a funny outro that we're recording from Bob Cage in Ontario from your cottage. Yeah. I tried to record with Michelle, but it was so hard to even do the intro because the internet is a little bit, it's on lake time. Yeah. Like we're in the country. Yeah. Lake. So yeah. I was like, shoot, what are we going to do? We only had one canned outro, but I roped you into doing an outro with me. Yeah. It's great. How's your vacation going? Really good. <laughs> <laughs> How's your vacation yeah, going? Great. I might die today because I rented a stand-up paddleboard. Yeah. Like you're going to die because the lake is really choppy. It's really choppy, but I rented a stand-up paddleboard. You're going to do great. One of two things will happen. I will die in the lake or I will realize an untapped talent and go on to be the world champion stand-up paddleboarder. Yeah, I think that that's probably what will happen. I wish you could comment on this episode, but you weren't part of the interview and you haven't heard it yet because it hasn't been released yet. No, I listened to you edit it though, most that's part true. of it. Yeah. And it sounded great. Yeah. So Jessica, <laughs> thank you so much. It was really interesting. Oh my God. What happened this morning? <laughs> what did I have to rescue? A chipmunk from the gazebo. Yeah. Like I in was... the screen room. I always get told that this like isn't a gazebo in people's minds. Because it's not, a, because it's attached to the house. Yeah. And it's like a fully in screened in room. A gazebo is fully screened in. Like, what about those things that are, like, round and in, like, the middle of a park? Is that a gazebo? No, that's just, like, a Anyways, thing you sit under. I'm going to Google the definition of gazebo. But there was a chipmunk in it. Yeah, I was sitting on the couch out. and something caught my eye. And we have a big sliding door that goes inside. And this chipmunk made its way into the screened-in gazebo. I had to quickly run out and close the door. And then the poor little guy couldn't figure out how to get out. Yeah. Even though I was holding the door wide open for him. Yeah, he didn't know. He was scared. He was scared. Yeah. But, but you were like, Lindsay! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you took your sweet time coming to help. Well, I didn't. I, I, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. I felt like I was here quickly. All right. Maybe not. Yeah. We rescued a bird. And you rescued a bird. Wrapped up in some fishing line, a robin. We need to start a podcast on Lindsay and Carling's animal rescue. It's true. Although. Not Paul the mouse. Not the mice that we had to. They're sleeping forever. Yeah. (laughs) We had mice in the cottage. We have less now. Yeah, we do have less now. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. I hope everyone's having a good summer. I'm purposely not going to tell Michelle that we did this and see if she listens to our outros. Whoa. (laughs) Sneaky. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you haven't already, people should join our Patreon. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this episode comes out on the 12th, I sure. guess, because yeah. it's the day after we get back, yeah. July 12th. And on July 13th is our first ever Patreon Wet Wednesday. Oh, yeah. I'm on that, too. Yeah. So so Patreon is a paid subscription where if you like the work that you do, that we do, if you want to get more of us, me and Michelle, sometimes Lindsay, <laughs> then for as little as $5 a month, you get instant access to over 60 episodes, which is wild. It's, You've listened yeah. to almost all of them, I, if not all of them. I think I've listened to all the Patreon episodes. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they're exciting. I mean, yeah. the regular episodes are exciting Yeah, as but well. this is like level up. Yeah. You're never going to hear it on the main feed. No. And then like you and I didn't have to have a conversation about like your past. I just listened to the yeah. Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then came with notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was great. Yeah. But was- what Wednesday, we're doing a free a teaser for if you're a current Patreon member, it's like, it's going to be one level up and it's, well, just check it out. I I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's going it. to be, yeah, it's worth it. All right. Well, let's go try paddle boarding. Yeah. That'll be sweet. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye.